Hi, this is Brad from Truefire, and I just wrapped up uh, an interview with Matt, digging in with Matt. We dug deep, too. Um, and, uh, you know, it was awesome. But what Matt is doing is awesome because he's celebrating and educating um, entrepreneurship, um, sharing ideas with his audience. And any one of those ideas could spark an important and significant change in your life. So from my perspective, go dig in with Matt Rosenthal, and I hope you enjoyed the show we just did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Digging In with Matt Rosenthal. I've got an amazing, amazing guest for you guys today. Um, really interesting to me, first and foremost, selfishly, because I'm a huge fan of music. And this gentleman has done something really amazing with music. He's going to tell you about that. But, you know, a couple words that I think describe him best to me. First and foremost, he's a creator. He's certainly an entrepreneur. Um, he's created an amazing system that reaches 3 million players, guitar players globally. All right. That is just huge. And he's a wonderful guy. And you're going to get to see that. And you're going to get to hear an amazing story. He has a journey that's just so inspiring and so motivational. So I want to welcome today, Brad Wencoast to the show. How are you, my friend? I'm good, man. Thank you. What a nice, kind, uh, worded intro. It was over. Nice talking to you. I, I hope I can pay that off halfway at least, you know? Listen, um, we, we spent a, a lot of time talking before I hit the record button. And in, in that short period, I, I just got such a good um, feeling from you, you know? And I can feel the creativity even when you're talking. It comes through, oh, you know, digitally likewise. it comes through. Yes. Thank you, man. So we know that, um, that you've done some amazing things in, in your life and you've created something that's to me, it's having an impact, right? And so if we ask ourselves, why are we even here, aside from making sure that we're happy and we're fulfilled, if we can impact other people, like what else is, I mean, that's, that's great. You're impacting 3 million people, one way or the other around the world, and you're not even done yet. Before mm -hmm. we get into that, take me back to the beginning and just tell me, tell everybody who you are, where your passion came from and how this all started. Sure. Um, you know, I need to go way back. So my go parents back. were bohemian artists. Um, I was born in Miami, but we moved, you know, immediately to Italy where my, where my father studied, you know, at the Florence Institute of Art. So he, you know, uh, he did portraits for a living, but painted, you know, whatever he wanted to uh, for passion. Um, my mother, also Bohemian, was a sculptress and a, and a writer and a musician. My father, he played seven instruments, in, including guitar. Um, he was into jazz. And so, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, you know, but I never felt poor, right? There's a, a lot of love and inspiration and art in the house. And um, I, I know that that sort of, you know, had a big impact on me, right? So I started um, thinking, you know, my father passed when I was 12, pretty traumatic. 
pretty, and, and my mother was quite young at the time. She had me when she was uh, 20. And what did your father, what did your father pass on from? Uh, a heart attack. And he was in his 40s? He was 42. I just want to tell you something. I have to, I have to interrupt you here. Sure. We, have, we have a shared experience. My father was 42 when he died and I was 12. No. Yeah, yeah. They can't make that. That is an eerie coincidence. I had to stop you. Okay, well, that's good. You know, and the, yeah. Go I, I don't know if this is interesting, but it was impactful for me. Um, because, you know, at 12 years old, you, you don't have, you know, I didn't realize how much I missed my father until I had my own kids. Mm. Right. I didn't know what it was really like because you don't know that at 12 years old. And then, you know, my mother had to, you know, he had the heart attack, didn't have the proper insurance. And at this point in his career, he had uh, a, a portrait studio in the Fontainebleau Hotel, which is Miami Beach. Oh, in Miami. That's so cool. He yeah. then had the big art gallery upstairs, very successful, both of these things. This was in the day when right his portrait studio was right next to the... Uh, the, the lounge or the club, you know, where they would do shows, uh, you know, the Frank Sinatra's and the Dean Martin's and, you know, some of the Sammy Davis Jr. and some of the best musicians in the world. Right. And he would have them come over, you know, there'd be jam sessions at night. And of course, wait, 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 you know, you're saying he knew them and they came to your house. He knew the musicians in the yeah. band. Oh, OK. Those are pretty cool. Very, very cool. And um, so, but anyway, he had, you know, worked his way up. He had a, he was just on, actually had opened a second gallery in Fort Lauderdale, right? And on the night of the opening, he had his heart attack. You know, he was at the pinnacle of his career, let's say, and if you measure that by money, okay? But ultimately, you know, it killed him. You know, um, and that had a big impact on me, right? Which didn't really kick in until I was 48. We'll get there. So meanwhile, I thought I would go, you know, I, I, you know, I started playing guitar at a very early age, but I thought I was supposed to be an artist and honor and follow my father's footsteps, yeah, yeah. right? And, you know, even as a teenager, I'd be doing illustrations for the alternative newspapers and Dolly was my, Salvador Dolly was my hero. And I wound up going to Pratt in Brooklyn, but dropped out the moment I had an opportunity to go on the road as a musician, right? So that was my passion, right? So, you know, you go on the road, you know, every guitar player's a music learner. And I used to read Guitar Player Magazine all of the time, but I was frustrated. You said, you know, you don't read music. Well, none of us really read music, just a very few, right? So, but you read these magazines with notation and tab and it's in print. You can't even really read the standard notation and the tab doesn't give you like, what is it supposed to sound like when playing properly? So this had been in my head forever, right? Meanwhile, you know, I quit the road at, at uh, 27 or 28. I literally sold all my, all my guitars, all my gear, 
which if I held on to it, be worth a fortune today, you know, um, because what I thought uh, was going to be my life, you know, turn, you know, the grass, grass is, you don't know what you're going to get till you get it, right? And this has been a theme throughout my entire life. So now, um, you know, if you grow up, let's say, on the wrong side of the tracks in a place like Miami Beach, I lived there. Um, prior to that, we moved from Italy to New York. My father had a studio there. Then he moved us to Miami Beach. I was there like uh, sixth grade through 11th grade. And there are, you know, very rich kids, you know, is, you, you know, you all go to the same school and kids that, you know, at 14 year, years old have a fancy car, you know, that they can, they only have a learner's permit, you know, they have a Donzi or a Boston Whaler, you know, and uh, man, I wanted those things. <laughs> You know, wanted a boat, you know, I, I, I wanted, I was, I was materialistic and, you know, our, I, I think like most people, you equate, you know, success with money because money buys you everything you think, right? So in 81, I started a, you know, I, I have my, my first company was like a creative graphic agency which i wound up selling you know for you know whatever 20 bucks or whatever that was um and then i i got into interactive technologies right there was and i remember searching for what am i going to do what am i going to do you know what what's going to do and i remember what it was like in the early 80s you know it's a lot of new tech coming on the scene you know computers the mac the whatever and, um, you know, I really thought, I, I really thought it through, like, what am I going to do? You know, how am I going to become successful? How am I going to own boats and travel wherever? So I stumbled across this interactive, I, it was IVR technology at the very beginning. And, and AT&T could not, uh, because of the divestiture, they could not get involved in information services. So they had to work with third parties. I'm, I'm at this point in a 400 square foot little bit of space in Hackensack, New Jersey, which is like at that time, anyway, well, I'm not gonna diss Hackensack cause you know, but um, so I, I went out to California. I what had- What year was this? What, 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 what? This is like 80, 81. Okay, so you're right 81, around. you're in Hackensack, New Jersey. Right next to Giant come Stadium. Up with this business idea. Right. Okay. I buy a black box of technology. I learn how to code it. I, you know, I love gadgets and gizmos. I'm not a coder today, I'll tell you that. Okay. But back then, you would learn the simple commands. And what this black box did is you could record information, you any audio recording, organize it, and allow people to call that box punch in a three-digit code and hear a message and pause it or rewind it or, and like, man, <laughs> you know, this is unbelievable. And so, you know, for me, it was, okay, what are the marketing applications? You know, it's like, oh, you can go to companies, right? 
and their spokesperson can deliver a message or their customers are the right way and that will be heard that way and it'll divert traffic away from operators and you know um and look at you know it was three years no sales it was just me in this now a little bit larger office because i had a couple of these boxes and um you know the truth of the matter was that you know nobody got this <laughs> and you know you can be way too early you know the trick is five minutes early because all the things that i tried to sell you know i remember like one of the things i tried to sell to realtors phone a home right i mean they literally i i i created all these brochures i sent them out to you know 200 realtors in the New York, you know, in the tri-state area. And I remember ordering a second telephone line because I was going to get hammered with calls. <laughs> I, ready. I swear to you, and I'm not exaggerating, I got one call yeah. from some realtor who said, uh, yeah, you know, I got your phone home brochure. That's kind of, you know, I have an old answering machine here. Or would you be interested in buying it? You know, um, so that did not fly. That was, you know, a fail. But we all know that, you know, success is failing, failing, failing until you finally hit on. Um, then, uh, all the while, I am, you know, there's no family money. I had no notion of how to get raised money. I'm a musician, right? So I started applying for credit cards. And I amassed what is the equivalent of maybe... $80,000 worth of, of credit line across a half a dozen cards. And back in those days, they weren't, you know, today, if you apply, they know exactly what else you have. I was able to get these six cards and I, you know, would use the credit line from one to pay the minimum on the other. And somehow or another that lasted me these three years. And I was going to, you know, my business was like, <laughs> you know, I had three months left and then I couldn't even pay, you know, my low rent, right? Um, and at this time now, I had been pitching Fortune 500 companies in their agencies, right? And like, like a, you know, it was like kismet, like a gift from karmic, pay, I don't know what it was, but I get a call from Ogilvy and Mather Direct. And they wow. say, hey, um, you know, we've gotten some of your literature, you know, uh, actually, I was cassette tapes and these, you know, kind of cool mailers. We would send out a box that said ring, ring, ring. You open up the box. There's a red phone handset, you know, the old type. It's for you. You pick that phone up and you'd have my little uh, phone. Uh, the company name started PhoneWorks you know, welcome to the phone work zone, you know, kind of a twilight zone thing. Anyway, I get this call. This is in, but I, I remember it like it was, it was September where I knew I couldn't make it through the end of the year. Okay. I'm freaking out. All my friends and peers that had completed their education, their fancy lawyers driving fancy cars. At this time I have, um, two kids. Right. Um, and, you know, that puts a real pressure on you. Sure. Now you got to grow up and you got to provide. So OVMA their calls and said, hey, I hear you got this 
phone thing, 800 thing, and, um, you know, so on and so forth said, you know, to call you. And so we had a little rap about that. And um, they said, you know, this sounds cool. Art, why don't you come in and tell us more about it? We'll bring the client in, right? So I go to Ogilvy and Mather Direct. This is the first time I've been in a big agency, like literally the first time, right? I'm driving a rent-a-wreck at this time, you know? I can't even afford the parking at this time. So um, Ogilvy and this is on Park Avenue, right? Go into their building and receptionist, you know, call somebody and that somebody brings me upstairs all the way at the top and opens these doors. It's like this massive <laughs> boardroom, like right out of the movies, man. Yeah. You know, and there are 20 people seated around this table. There's the creative director, the this director, and the client is AT&T, right? Wow. AT&T. And I knew about the divestiture thing, right? And so, you know, I'm, I'm expect, I don't know what to expect, but um, somebody says, well, you know, Brad, tell us what you could do for us, you know? And it's like, what, <laughs> you know? And so anyway, I described the technology and how it works and the fun we can have with it because besides information dissemination, right? There's also a lot of promotional things that you can do, right? So, you know, I give them that presentation and then the client says, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to come up with, they had just introduced, do you remember, uh, uh, they had, I'm trying to remember what it was, but it was like a credit card, you know, that you hear a bong and you enter in this phone card, not a phone card, phone card, but this card, right? into their system right and you can call anywhere and you and you get billed and it was very like new and they said the phone which i so i knew about this product they said well you know what you know what do you think we can do promotion wise i had no idea so i just riffed okay it was like jazz right i said well you know i i have that card and i know that a lot of people are confused by it and i know that no one knows what to do when they hear the bong right, which was the signal to enter your AT&T card number. And, and then you can dial in the number that you want to call and connect and all that. And so I said, what if we do a promotion, right, where people enter in their card number, you know who those people are, because those card numbers are registered with you. And we do two things, we have a fun promotion, but we teach them how to use the card at the same time. So to enter the sweepstakes, you will will step you through the process. You'll recognize the tone, blah, blah, blah. Sold, right? One month later, right? And, and I gave them pricing, but I had no idea. You know, it was like a price per call kind of a thing, right? Um, they called me. Uh, the next month, now we're in, that was October, now we're in November. And they say, um, Brad, listen, the client wants us to ask if you could do us a favor. We've calculated what this is going to cost, $1,000,002. Okay. They took my numbers and, yeah, yeah. and they said, but, you know, the client wants to pay you 75% of that before the end of the year, even though this campaign was going to happen to the middle of the next year. And the reason they wanted to do that 
is to preserve their budget, right? So whatever they spent in this year, they could get at least that or more, right? I mean, can you imagine? I mean, think, I'm in this lonely place for three years. I'm like, you know, it's like Papillon in the cell in solitary. And, and they're saying they want to send me a check for 75% of $1.2 million, which I said, well, sure. You know, if you insist, I, I got the check, wow. paid off the boxes because the black pot, the people that were selling me the boxes were, you know, kind of believed in my mission and it helped them, you know, show other applications and um, bought my wife, uh, Minko, uh, her, the house of her dreams, a, a tutor, you know, and a new uh, Jeep Cherokee, right? You guys, I'm just curious about, I, I have, I got, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to pause and so I can ask you about four questions that came up. I didn't want to interrupt you, man. Sorry. I, I told you I ramble, man. No, I, this I, is I, so go. good. I, I, this story is, is really already, but you skipped over a couple of things. And I, I think it's important for the people that are, that are, well, sure. somebody watching it like today or 10 years from now. Yeah. You, you like, unless I had this wrong, you lived in, you lived on a houseboat. You lived. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. I skipped over a lot of, I mean, you, uh, you did not, you, when you say you, let, let me, let me take you through, maybe we, we can, we can share an experience here. I, when I grew up and when that, when the similar thing happened to me, we were living off the government because there was no, there was no insurance. We got the social security checks that three of them that came in, my mother, my brother, and me, we lived in a little apartment. We had nothing whatsoever. And so I can relate to all of your story, but I know that every step of the way, there were things that I'm hearing you talk about. And, and I think we're skipping over them a little bit. First of all, when your dad died at 12, it sounds like you, it demanded that you become creative. And I don't mean creative um, artistically. I mean, creative, like, I got to make something happen here. Like, maybe well, you didn't no, think about no. it, but it had to happen. At, listen, at 12 years old, I had two younger sisters. I had, you know, my mom was working three jobs to, you know, um, and uh, really, uh, you know, you suddenly feel like you're the man of the house. And right. now you're responsible. And That's a heavy you know, weight. And, and it's just too heavy a weight. You're right. not equipped you're to 12. do that at 12 years old, right. but you feel the responsibility to do that. Um, and, you know, that was a really kind of stressful time for me. And, and I couldn't really think about the things, honestly, that, you know, I wanted to do or dreamed about doing. It was like, hey, we got to survive here. You know, I got to, I got to cook the Survival. for my girls. Uh, you know, my sisters, that's really what it was. And I, you know, and I know, <laughs> you know, that I could only do so much. I was really disappointed because I couldn't be the man of the house. Right. So when uh, uh, several years later, I was in 11th grade. I, I don't know what age that makes me. Uh, my mom met someone else married him, not an artist type. And, and I know she made that decision to get, you know, like it wasn't like a true love. She, she, she and my dad were, you know, madly in love. Right. But, um, this gentleman, uh, you know, loved my mom 
asked her to marry him. She said yes. And uh, moved, you know, you know, my mom had a lot of baggage, three kids, two dogs, a cat, a lot of debt. He moves us all to New York, right? And my mom uh, starts working as the creative director for his theatrical makeup business in New York City, where all the models and actresses and actors go to get their stuff, right? So financially, um, you, got, you're, you guys, life changed pretty quickly. The stress, well, the tension, for, the, the not having. For, well, the stress for me, man, it was like, holy mackerel, this is, right. you know, mom, are you sure about Yes, this, you know, but that was, you know, the summer, right? It was, I was in 11th grade. And that summer, you know, I no longer had those responsibilities. I was like free, right? So I just, you know, took like. my freedom. I hitchhiked to yeah. Vancouver, British Columbia, right. lived that summer on, on the beaches off of, you know, built Indian like longhouses out of driftwood picked berries and roots and mussels and clams. And man, that was just a sensational summer. And then I decided to, well, I had to go back to New York and finish high school, right? Which I went to the school called Quintano's School for Young Professionals, which is, you know, if you were an artist or an actor or an actor, you know, and you would only have to take certain courses in the morning so that you could go and do your training. You know, I would go to the Art Students League, School of Visual Arts, things like that. Um, Can I ask you a pause for a sec? Oh, sure. Did you, when you were, so, and I'm not going to go back to this. This is the last question I have about that point in your life. Did you process that death at that point in your life or did you go right into that survival mode you talked about and then it came back to you later in life? the processing of what happened yeah i did not process it i packed it away um you know it was always there i didn't process it till i had my own kids it, it, you know a much later date like what happened what i you missed carried out. it for decades oh my god i carry it to this day man you know and um you but know, when i say carry like you carried it like you didn't really deal. You went and you just went and attacked the world, so to speak. Like you just went at, you just went and you just made things happen. That's right. And you kind of went on your journey, right? You went, you started, you ran towards, like you didn't have money. You didn't have, you, you mentioned earlier that you wanted things. You wanted stuff, right? Because at that age, like that's all we know. We, we want stuff. Yeah. So you, you went on like a, you went after it and you well, didn't have time to process it. I took absolutely not. And anything I could do to distract myself from processing it, yeah. I did. And, you know, so I never went back home after that, that summer, you know, I started living on my own. Uh, so my younger sisters, you know, they were now in a financially stable thing, you know, and I was happy for them. And I was happy for my mother. And I was happy for that. And I was happy that I was free to manifest my own destiny, you know? And uh, that's when, you know, for me, it was about uh, that period of time, you know, playing guitar, going on the road, not as a rock star, just like for me, my dream. And, and literally the first thing, you know, that I can remember setting my mind to do something and not quitting in the middle of it 
was I wanted to be a professional musician. I, I didn't want to be, you know, of course, if I became a rock star, that'd be cool. But that wasn't my motivation. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. That was like, you know, uh, if, you know, and I. So and you were I, that good I, at guitar at that young age. No, I, I, I've never been that good at guitar. I practice like an animal. Okay. I drove a taxi cab in New York City. Right. I jam at night. I do, you know, I go out to auditions. If I had a dollar for every audition that I got rejected, like in less than a minute, um, you know, I just, I, I finally figured out like what I had to practice to be able to get into a band, which was basically, you know, the bands I got into were, you know, some alternative things. And we played uh, CBGBs. We played it with, you know, people like Blondie and, and the Ramones and, you know, that New York thing. But each band, I remember the night we all played, $17 the band made. You know, because yeah, you get I a just missed that door. that time. You and I talked about it a little bit of a different it, age. It, it was I just missed it. But you don't make money doing that. So I started to figure out, man, what I got to do is learn songs. I have to be a sideman in uh, in a touring band, and finally got got hired. Is that you know? And it was it was a dream gig. It was what exactly what I was looking for, like. You know, we would play the Puerto Rico Hilton. We'd, we'd gig for a week in a town. We'd be in the winter in Puerto Rico and the south, and in summer we'd be wow. you know, up in the north. I would get my own room. I'd get bored. I'd, you know, earn a little extra for arranging a piece. And I thought that, you know, boom, <laughs> this is a dream come true. I made it. Until, until you live it, right, and you realize that it's it's a tough road to to hoe. It's tough, and um, you know, and that's why I quit at twenty eight and sold everything. So that kind of fills that gap. filled in the gap because you know there, there's uh, some things I jotted down. I mean, I'm hearing there's so much persistence and and like you don't give up. And I'm picking that up. And you haven't said it like that, but it's it's. I'm kind of cheating here because we had such a similar experience, mm -hmm. even though our lives are totally different. We had a very similar driving, uh, traumatic life experience. Mm -hmm. So the questions I'm asking you, I'm asking you because I felt the same thing. So I'm almost curious, like, did you have, and you're saying, yes, yes, yes. So we, we had the same trauma, the same difficulty, and it did the same thing to both of us. It, I had no idea, by the way, but before you brought you know, it up. I think we're brothers from another mother. Brothers maybe. from another mother. You know, it's kind of crazy, you know, kind of crazy. The persistence the, the, that I'm hearing, um, the resilience. I mean, that's something that, that before we start getting into the next phase, where you start talking about some, sure. some more business stuff, there's things that I wanted everybody to hear. And you just, and I'm glad that, that you, you, we're able to express them. These life events are not common. And we, I'm sure you would agree. We wouldn't wish a lot of this on, on people, on people, <laughs> Hell no. you know, and we've sounds like we've both done our own in our own life as adults, the best we can to provide different levels of stability and consistency and love to our children that, that maybe the opportunity wasn't there because our lives were different as kids. Mm -hmm. So there's that whole path, but a lot, a lot of people I'm making up a number 95% of the people out there are 90, 
they have a sort of typical path and they can't relate to what you and I are talking about. Mm -hmm. But the people that I meet that tend to be the most, and I'm talking in business, successful entrepreneurs, there are patterns. Hard work, grit, determination, perseverance, resilience. You've got right. a list of words. And, where to, and oftentimes the stories that I hear are similar to yours, similar to mine. And they had to survive through difficult times, years, decades, because of some difficulty as a child. There is a commonality there. Not in every case, oh. but it's a oh, lot of the interviews I do. Absolutely. You know, and they say, they say that you are who you were at 12 years old, essentially. Right. And you remember what we were when we were 12 years old. We had to try to be the man of the house. We had to try to be, you know, we couldn't go out and, you know, gallivant around town. You stay home and babysit your sisters because your mom's working at night, can't afford a baby. You know, that is like, man, uh, you know, there's also the feeling uh, that I, I of, OK, what do I do now? And it's not like uh, this is a, I had a very like I can think back to being like very, um, in a way, lost, confused. There's like there's like, what the heck just happened and what's happening now? Uh, and, and so either you decide to. All right. I'm going to let life beat me up or I'm just going to go make it happen. And, and it's a it's a for me, it was a decision. Like, like, I'm like, all right, this is what it is now. And I'm just going to go make it happen. And I remember thinking that when I was not 12, but around 14 years old, I got tired of having nothing. That's right. You know, if I wanted a stereo system, I had to work and save up to buy a radio shack, one speaker at a time, the oh, receiver, yeah. the double cassette deck, the rate one piece at a time oh, yeah. over the course of like a year and a half. Yeah. So why I'm not sharing this to, so that you, you and I can say how oh, tough I life relate. were, but there's, yeah, there's, relate. there's things that I find that I can't, I have a difficult time teaching people, even, even in my own business or when I'm trying to bring people on, there is something that some people just have because of the life circumstances that you've lived. Well, and that I can't be I, taught. That's, that's, that's life. I think, that, I think that that's true. You know, like I, I, you know, when I try to, you know, you read about, you know, the vast majority of startup businesses fail, you know, and of course I, when I started to become a businessman or entrepreneur, which I couldn't even spell at that time or understand what it was, <laughs> what I was getting you into, spell it now. you know, when, when I'm talking to other people who are starting up and I'm trying to, you know, um, share, you know, some thoughts with them, you know, I tell them, look at, you know, it's like a marathon, right? Your sure. body, gives up at 21 miles, right? And it's your heart, soul, perseverance, tenacity that gets you the rest of the way. Tenacity. And that's the difference, I think, between companies that fail and companies that succeed, right? 100%. We could stop the show right here, which I'm not going to do. And that would that's gold right there. Those words you just said and what you just said, anybody can have an idea and, and try to start a business. But the things you just said are the things that you, you got to put the time in. I've been doing my thing for 20 years. It, it yeah. takes, it's it just, it's you, you, you fail, you get up, you dust yourself off, you keep going. And like, how many times have you thought of quitting? Just want to give up. Um, like, ah, I'm tired. I, when you're starting. I, I, I have too big of an ego to do that. I think, I don't know what it is, but you know, there's something about quitting that, you know, I can't, I, I can't, can, 
can't consider. I can consider if you accomplish what you set out to accomplish and you're not happy, it's not what you thought it was going to be, then you change up and you try something change. else. Change. That's right. Or, I'm glad or, you said you can't conceive of it because that's what I, I, I was hoping. I can relate to that. You don't think about quitting. We didn't have the option to quit. There you is. have to keep going. There's, if you quit, then what? Nobody's going to hand you anything. You have to keep going. Well, and that's what people forget it. in business. That's, you know? that's right. And, you know, you have to hold yourself accountable to that. And I, let me tell you what, man, you know, <laughs> there's been periods in my life where I learned what a panic attack was, what an anxiety is, right? And you have to push yourself. There's the wall, <laughs> you know, you have to push yourself through that because there is no option. You know, I want to come back to that. I want to talk about that. I'm, I, sure. I'm glad you brought that up. So I'm going to, I'm going to put that on a shelf for a second. Take a note on that. Yeah. Uh, Cause that's really important. Cause we can connect on that. We have, we have, both, it sounds like we both had experiences. All right. So you were 20, uh, I think you said 28. Yeah, it was 28. Now bring me from there to now. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll try to not be so proposed. Okay. Um, so 28, the first thing I did was start a, you know, leverage my art skills, did paste up some mechanicals, started a, my own little business, um, you know, doing whatever I could from. And at night I'd go work at a shop. These are back in the days where you literally had to do paste ups and mechanicals. There was not digital, right? So I do my own thing during the day, <laughs> not making a lot of money. Um, so I'd go and work at night till like four in the morning doing, you know, department store ads and the negatives and, you know, polishing paste ups. And that. Um, so, uh, I, I, you know, this was not a satisfying thing, but it was a great stepping stone into the world of business. You know, I started to understand how important it is to be able to sell. You know, I mean, selling, it's everything, right? Um, you know, uh, customer relationships. Um, at this point, I still didn't have any employees. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, but um, why, there was another uh, more mature and, you know, more experienced uh, graphics studio that I became friendly with, and she'd give me some overflow work or whatever. And, um, you know, it, probably within a couple of years, something like that, I masked a nice clientele, you know? So I, I you know, I told you still like, living off of that, off of that million bucks. Um, no, this was before. Oh, oh I had a time back that didn't this happen yet. First, yeah, yeah. My mistake. The first business. So I did a deal with her, you know, I forget, the exact numbers, but I said, look at, I'm going to turn over all my clients. Okay. And it was, it was likely, you know, something like, look, you know, get these clients. If they're good to you, you give me something for it. That's right. why I joked about $20 cause, and she did, you know, but it certainly wasn't uh, a lot of money. Okay. So now we're back to the black box of technology, figuring out how to become rich and successful and you know and you know then those three years living off of credit lines and then you know uh, that black september 
when I knew I was going to run and AT&T calls. Now, after AT&T called and I did that deal before the end of the year, I got two other big deals just just came in from, wow. you know, you're out there mailing and, you know, the next deal was with uh, uh, Guinness to do a promotion using this interactive technology. And then Beatrice Butterball Turkey called me up and wanted me to design a system to divert. <laughs> I'll never forget this, man. They told me on that call, they said, you know, Brad, we have customer service. We have the Turkey talk line. We have a couple of hundred operators, but there are some very common questions. I said, well, you know, that's what we can do. We can provide the answers to those common questions. Tell me a couple of, well, she goes on to say last year, she turned, we had 1,355 people call up uh, to ask us or tell us or complain about their butterball turkey tasting like plastic, right? I said, like plastic? Yeah. And this is because they did not remove the plastic wrap from the turkey and they would cook it, okay? Put it in the oven with the, with the plastic on it. 1,355 people that year. But um, common sense ain't so common. No. So, <laughs> we, well, <laughs> man, you have no idea. Um, then, uh, so we did the turkey talk line um, and talked about uh, how, how to thaw, how to cook, you know, how to prepare. Um, just three or four, very, which was almost 40% of their traffic. So they saved a ton of dough and, you know, and I made some money. Guinness was straight out promotion. Um, January of that year, I got a deal with NASCAR with, through Gillette. And we did something called the Gillette, uh, Gillette Halfway Challenge. If you enter your phone number, and if we call you at the halfway point of one of these, you know, Daytona 500s or and you can tell us which driver is in the lead at that point, we give you a Corvette, right? So anyway, 17 years go by with this business, okay? It becomes very successful. We became literally the first interactive media agency. It was IVR way before the internet. We did 1,700 campaigns for... 300 fortune 500 brands you built this out huh you built this out you this this company you built that from you from from scratch I mean, it was you then you began to hire employees from that little 400 square foot thing okay i wound up having the entire building right? where did you get the knowledge <laughs> sales marketing accounting i i, I did uh, the same thing i didn't build something as big as what you built but yeah, you built something you know, from scratch um I would ask questions. I'd go find somebody. I needed to learn how to do a cash in, cash out. Right. right? Um, I had a friend who was a CFO of L'Oreal, which is a billion dollar company. Um, and he loved what I was doing and was, I think, jealous that he was stuck in a corporate thing. Right. Right. Of course, I said, well, come and join me. He said, oh, well, you know, he's making 600,000 a year plus all the benefits. So he taught me how to do a spreadsheet and a cash in, cash out. Um, and that led to learning how to do a PL and, you know, other financial things. But I would just go out. Um, and I was very lucky because 
because these were Fortune 500 companies, you know, the marketing people, the heads of marketing who would handle this kind of new thing, um, the brightest marketing people on the planet, you know, I mean, they're, they know their shit. Um, sorry, didn't mean to curse. Um, but also the agents. No, we were way overdue. We, we needed a couple of, feel free, <laughs> drop, drop it, whatever but, you want. You know, so I learned so much from the creative director of OGB and Mather, you know, he was a copywriting genius. He taught me this. I learned from the marketing folks at Coke. And, and you, you sucked know, it all you up. Start like, to learn all of it. Right. The principles of promotion and the principles right. of marketing. And, you know, I'm certainly no expert then or expert today, but that's how I learned to, that's how I grew that business is asking questions and trying to apply whatever I could take away from the answers. And so over these 17 years, you know, it's weird because um, we were, you know, we got to break even pretty quickly. Okay. But after I want to say about seven or eight years, it became insanely profitable. Okay. And I thought, oh my God, this is really going to happen. Okay. My dream come true, you know? Um, and I would, just to give you an example. So we were getting awards, you know, over 70 international marketing technology award. We got the award from Capitals for the best creative uh, of the year. You know, all this going to my head, right? Being invited to go talk in at marketing symposiums in Sydney, Australia, and all going into my head. Right. Um, I would get a call. It, it, it was not unusual for me to get a call. Hey, Brad, uh, this is uh, John over at Coke in Atlanta. Uh, Bobby told me that you had done that, you know, promotion with him. Uh, we got a promotion coming up. We need a loyalty uh, program. Um, you know, we're, we're thinking we're going to have these many calls, these many interactions, whatever. You know, priced it on the spot because I was really good at that. Right. And um, and he said, sold, send me the paperwork, you know, never met the guy. Right. Um, it was a big number. At this point, I was just like, hey, you know, I'm quoting big numbers because we're very busy. Right. Um, and uh, close the deal without ever seeing him. And sure enough, you know, it was like a million dollar deal again. Now, um, this business is an agency business. And this is a really key learning for me. Okay, an agency business, no matter how successful you are at that business, is a hustle business, right? You get a client, projects, you do the promotion, you do the project, you gear up for it, and then you got to go and get another client, right? There's no reoccurring, or, or well, not just, well, you know, it's not well, mostly reoccurring. It's 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 right. one shot deals. So I learned the what I consider to be like the holy grail of business principles, which is recurring evergreen revenue, right? I also learned that it's better to have, you know, a, a lot of customers who are paying you this much instead of 10 customers that are paying you a lot because you're gearing up for them. And if you lose one, you're in deep trouble, right? Meanwhile, all this shit goes to my head. You know, I just think I'm a badass, right? Um, and you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I didn't think, and I bought boats and then another boat 
three months later. Didn't even, you know, I got to the point where it wasn't even asking the price. It was just obscenely profitable, okay? But it was all like I was fooling myself, right? Because um, I'll never forget, like, I don't even know what stimulated, but I had this like epiphany, man, that, holy mackerel, my son, you know, I haven't even been to one of his little, you know, t-ball games. My wife told me, you know, while I was in Australia, that, hey, Zach, just learned how to ride the two-wheeler. You know, I missed birthdays. I was absent, okay? And all this starts to, like, gel and, you know, and I realize, you know, that I don't even really tell people what I do. You know how when, hey, what do you do? I, I, I'd say something because I wasn't really proud of what I did. Because what was I doing, man? Helping Nestle sell chocolate chip cookies and Coke sell sugar water and Guinness sell beer and butterball turkeys. You know, that's what I was doing with my life. And so I don't know if I got hippie-ish all of a sudden, but it all started caving in. Um, were, you, and, were you realizing that when you got to that point that it's not yes, what you thought it would be? Yes. Yeah. And so what I was doing is there was a creeping feeling that something was off here, you know, like if I achieved all these things, I'm making all this money, you know, and so buying things and going on trips, distraction back to when I was 12 years old or 17 years old, you know, like very what you're really feeling and distract yourself with a new car or a new boat or a trip to wherever material things, but I'm missing my kids key events. I'm an absent father and who knows better what that feels like than someone that lost their father when they were 12 years old. You did? How old were you when you, when this was going on? Okay, so let me figure this out because, um, so I started that business in 81. It ran for 17 years. So where are we were about 98. Yeah. 98. Right. So, <laughs> true to form, I said, fuck it, selling the business. I've I got to do something that I feel good about. You know, I, you know, it's not that I don't care about the money, but I, that's where I learned that money does not buy you everything or happiness or, you know, make you feel good. It's, it's not, a, it's not about that. It's about, so I started reading books every time I get into, you know, a quandary, I'll go out and read every book on the subject, right? And, um, you know, and the, I remember this one book, I couldn't tell you what the title was, but it rocked my world. And it basically said this, if you are getting a new job, or you're starting a new business, or, you know, any big thing like that, don't think about the money, think about lifestyle things. How are you going to dress? What kind of people are you going to work with? What kind of work are you going to do? Do you love that kind of work, right? How much or how little do you travel, right? Um, is family time important to you? You know, it, 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 and it was like, oh my God, you know, I started this first business. Okay, it was as successful, but it was a hard road to haul for all the wrong reasons. You know, I wanted money, I wanted boats, I wanted recognition, I wanted awards, right? 
So at this point in my life, so 98, 17 years in, maybe it was like 16 years in, you know, around that time, I left the business up in New York, I actually uh, Hoboken, New Jersey, a beautiful like looking over the city, patios, espresso, you know, all that crap. Um, and I moved the family down to St. Petersburg, Florida, because I, I do love fishing and I do love the water and changed my life completely around. And my life now was geared around the kids' schedule. Never missed a game. Moved down here. I never missed a game. You know, my kids went to a, kind of a small school, so they played every sport, you know. So, you know, never missed a game. The lot, my life was centered, and I thank God for that because if I'd waited too much longer, I would have gone, you know, be miserable, terribly unhappy. And, you know, anyway, I did that. And everyone told me, man, and this is another life lesson. Don't listen to people, <laughs> you know, you got to go with what you're really feeling at the end. You can get advice. Okay. But whether or not you apply that advice, ultimately that's your call. So everyone told me, you're, you can't move down to Florida and leave the business up here. I had a really good GM. Okay. I wasn't worried about that, but you know, you, I did all the pitching. You're not going to get clients to come. Your, you know, your world is the tri-state area and the Fortune 500 and this and that. You know, you know. Thank you. Appreciate that. You know, um, but when I moved to Florida, I started. I had to start for my. I started two hobby businesses. One was. Uh, fishing and boating, direct mail order, catalog kind of business. So I love fishing and boating. You know, it's like, what do your parents say? Or what's the best, of, you know, do something that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. It sounds so trite and cliche, but it's true. But I could tell you that, but you have to reach that conclusion yourself. You know, that's not advice any young man is going to take, I can tell you that. Or young woman, for that matter. You know, it's just, you want other things. Meanwhile, I did that. And I will tell you that I got more clients to come down to Florida for the pitch in, in a group, okay, oh, from these Fortune 500, than I could get them to come across town. That's great. Okay? And, um, uh, you know, so kept the business humming, had these hobby businesses. The other one in uh, 91, I had started a hobby business, you know, I'm terrible with dates, but long story short, the other one was called notes on call. And it was the seed of what I do today. Okay. So, but it was a hobby business, you know, and I, I just for my sanity and I feel like I was, you know, I went to, I remembered my kind of epiphanies when I was a player reading these magazines. Now I had some chops with interactive technology, albeit just telephone, still no internet, 91. So I go right. and I pitch every guitar and bass magazine on this idea. And I say, I'm going to, you know, here's the interactive technology. I'm going to, for every one of your lessons, I'm going to do an interactive audio version of it. There's a code, there's an 800 number, people will call it. It was the easiest sell on the planet. It's just a great idea. 
I remember them saying to me, um, it's a great idea. I hope you have some really good guitar players in your stable because you probably are not going to get the artists and educators to do it. Wrong. <laughs> Every single one of them wanted to do that. And, um, you know, so I was able to kind of like what we did then is kind of what we're doing today. It's just a little more sophisticated. Today. Right, right. Well, so learn interactive chops establishes relationships with musicians who I love to work with. Um, and, uh, you know, did you keep the business? Did you keep the business sold, in New York? I sold the business um, in 98. 98 and in 98 beginning of 99 and um you know i it was a bad experience the people that bought it were not honorable and not very but what you know i didn't know you know but it was a very bad like experience for me um but i was able to use that money which was not a lot of money but it was a lot of money right to invest in Truefire today. So the business that was hobby business at 91 or whenever that was, was Notes on Call. Now I changed the name to uh, Truefire, set up a little kind of garage thing with some developers, started to figure out how to stream audio. Then, you know, uh, video started happening. There's a lot of noise in the background. We'll, we'll cut. We'll, we'll uh, edit right here. Ten, ten more minutes. Just need like thirty more minutes of silence. Sorry about that, man. Uh, I I I uh I thought it might stop, but I was I, I had a had a no that enough. that's that's cool. We have a very open office environment. If you ever. You would dig this place majorly, man. You're it's, on the you're on the West Coast right now. Uh, yeah, we're in St. Petersburg in the okay. warehouse I, I works district. I'm in Boca, but uh, I could easily make my way over there. It will I would be, love to. Well, I would love for you too, because I think we have a lot in common. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, uh, all right, go back to where you were. I, I, this is one of the interviews I've spoken the least on. I, out of, I, I think you're number six. That's 65. because I'm a blabbermouth. Okay. You tell an, a, an amazing story, and, and I'm, I'm just straight up captivated listening to your story. <laughs> I'll tell you. You flatter right. me. So, okay. So, okay. So, you're, you're true fire. Nobody's going to work with you. Well, Everybody sell, works with you. I sell this business. I was helping Fortune 500 companies sell their wares because it didn't feel good for me, right? And I heeded, you know, read these books, and it's like, okay, craft your next life around the things you have passion for, which for me was music, music education. Those are the people I like working side by side with. Love the team of people here. You know, truly, <laughs> you know, they get all the credit. I just was whatever, lucky enough to be able to get these people to believe in this crazy thing, right? Um, and I love working with artists. And I love being able to say that I'm, and I'm, I, and for me, it's like there are two big things that we're doing here. Clearly enriching people's lives, you know, by giving them the gift of being able to play music. 
whether it's two chords, three chords, or you're, you know, a advanced pro, that for me is a legacy uh, that I will leave behind that makes me very proud, right? The other thing that's happening is the technology killed the music business for artists because people no longer bought records, right? And there used to be this thing called mailbox money. I don't know if you've ever heard the term. No, I don't know What artists refer to, you know, they get their royalties or any publishing that they have. They have a record. Mailbox money is, you know, you do something and it keeps coming in. It's sort of early annuity stuff. And so part of our mission was how do we help artists navigate the new music business landscape, right? Which wow, in my, that's, that's powerful. You know, because now you'll notice, man, in the old days when I was growing up, and even when you were growing up, um, you made your money off of records and you paid to go on tour, right? Now, musicians, really most of them, very few have publishing or, you know, very few are at the, you know, the pinnacle. But the 99.9% of musicians have to go out there and gig and get on the road. And do I know what that felt like? You know, and nobody loves it. They love when they're on stage, but they hate everything else. Um, And so it's like, hey, can we reimagine or reinvent mailbox money? And sure enough, you know, earning, they come into the studio, we film a project with them, like you would record a record and we are, we have partnerships. Um, we don't do work for hire. So we pay you a fee up front, you know, um, and then you get a percentage on the back end of everything that we sell and you get a percentage, a larger percentage for everything that you sell. Right. And our deal is called an MOU. We don't even call it a contract or agreement, you know, and it's, it's, we, we're not publishing. We don't owe your, own your IP. You own your IP. We own our IP. You have final approval over every aspect. There's no exclusivity. There's no, you want to terminate our relationship? Call us up, terminate it, we'll stop. And we'll even stop selling your product if you want us to do that. Uh, you know, this thing, so if you love somebody, set them free. That was yeah. the whole philosophy. Yeah. Uh, the whole philosophy from the beginning was to turn you know, the music business, there's a famous Howard uh, uh, Thompson, I forget. There's a famous quote about how negative the music business is and how artists, you know, have been screwed over from forever, right? So we wanted to be, we wanted to turn everything upside down. You would never find any of the things that I just described as, you know, our, our deal points in in any label business or management, you just won't find it. Um, today, we have 300 artists that we collaborate with. Uh, the you know three million students around the world. Um, not all of them paying. We're you know we give away a lot of stuff. You know if you can afford it, you pay it. If you can't afford it, disadvantaged children. Third world countries, man, oppressed countries, um, vets, you know, whatever. It doesn't, we don't care. We don't even count how many millions of dollars we've given away. It's just good, right? And, and it's cosmic and it's karma. 
And, you know, every time we've gotten into trouble in this business, and by the way, there's no million dollar deals here, and I'll never make in a year what I was making, you know, in the other business. Let me tell you, there's this transition point where, you know, you're taking millions of dollars, you're supporting your family, you're putting your kids through college, you're putting food on the table, you're reinventing yourself. I was 48 when I did all this, 48 years old, right? I, I honestly, you know, there was, uh, I'd say I, I, (laughs) there was a shadow of doubt whether I could completely reinvent this and start a new business from scratch. And I would watch the dollars dwindle in the bank account and I would have to stop spending things and, you know, um, and it, it was scary for a very short while until I realized I'm friggin' happy, man. <laughs> you know, I love what I'm doing. And I will tell you, man, it took more than three years for us to get anywhere near the black. A couple of us here, um, you know, I, I, I brought in a couple of people from the other business who I somehow convinced to do this, um, worked without a salary for five years, literally. And then- Come on. They, no, I swear to you, okay? You know, the deal was, look, if I need to pay you a salary, I will, okay? If you're willing to work at half what you're worth, I'll give you a little slice. And if you're willing to work for nothing and can afford to do that, um, I'll give you a bigger slice. And a couple of folks took that deal. Crazy! Because this was like, you know, what the hell video was like. They believed in you. Well, they, they believed in the mission. And the idea. And, 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 they and, wanted, the... and they had the same passions. We were very much aligned. But I will never forget the day that two of us, you know, who weren't taking the salary, um, started paying ourselves minimum wage. It was like, <laughs> whoa, man. You know, and it just felt so good. And I, I'm telling you, it's like, it's intoxicating. You know, it's like you do something that you love with people that you love and, you know, you have the lifestyle that you love and you feel good about your family relationship and, you know, and you and you feel gratified and that you're doing something important. Right. And, uh, you know, there's nothing more intoxicating than that. No, nobody might say, how do you define purpose or, or how do you how would you express what purpose is and I, and I think you just explained it in, in a in a way like how one finds their purpose and what it feels like once you found it that's right and you know i've read articles or you know from a variety of people that talk about purpose right and that one of the primal needs we all have humans have is a need to have a purpose and you're lost without that but it's not easy to figure out what your purpose is you know some people are lucky enough to know what their purpose is from the get-go and some people you know wait till they're 48 years old to figure it all out you know um when you and i have those conversations and i'm sticking to it (laughs) when you and i have a uh another conversation I'll tell you, um, at 48, I had, I'm, I'm going to be 50 in a few months. 
but at 48, I, I went through a, a, a thing for like a year and it was very similar, very similar. Uh, and, and it's, it's eerie at exactly 48. I had something on. I, I, we'll talk. This I'll tell is, you about it. This is very uh, <laughs> cosmic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good. Kind of, uh, I, now you re- now you really have to come down, go to Boca, visit your family or whatever. And I'm here. I'm in Boca. I live. That's where I live. Oh, you live in Boca. I live in Delray. I'm next. I'm, I'm on the border of Delray and Boca. Okay. So you have no excuse. No, I'm here. I don't know how far. What is that? Four, three, four hours. Three, three four three. hours, man. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Um, I used to be in Naples. Well, we'll talk about it after. Um, okay. So I, I, I'm glad that you brought that to, to that point because that's, that's what you're doing now. And, and the way you just brought that all like to, to a closure is, is awesome. And it's not really a closure because you've got this phenomenal thing going on and you're impacting, as you said, millions of people. And I did not know that you give away that much, which makes it even just so much more powerful. Um, and that's so much more impactful. Um, yeah, but you know, it's like, it's like the things that I'm really proud about is um, uh, certainly, you know, giving away, you know, um, to people in need. I'm just certainly proud of that. Um, I'm proud that students, you know, express their love for the way we do what we do, which is very distinctive. Um, and, you know, and we have a really good reputation. But I'm really particularly proud that we have reinvented mailbox money for artists and and and, and the the revenue share checks that we send some cats boggle your mind. OK, and this never became more apparent than during the pandemic, because now, you know, the vast majority of the 300 people we work with um, couldn't go out and gig, which right. is the only source of income. Right. So if I had if I had a nickel for every artist that called up and said, man, thank, thank you. You're, you know, the, the checks that I would get from you were like really significant. How I pay my rent, how I put food on the table for my kids. If I had a nickel every time I got that call, you and I, we'd hop over to Tahiti and have this conversation. Okay? Can I share something with you? The, 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 uh, today is what, Tuesday? <clears throat> this past weekend, I was in Charlotte. I went to see Garth Brooks. Mm. I'm, I'm not a country fan, uh, but I, I'm a Garth Brooks fan. Oh, yeah. Just absolutely just love, love what he puts out there. But he said something. And I've seen him before, and he's a, he always comes across as a very gracious, humble, like appreciative guy. But he, he took a, a moment to point out that um, for a while they obviously couldn't tour and, and that how he felt about the people in his band that have been with him for, for a long time that um, weren't making money. Right. And he went as far as saying, who knows, a year or two from now, like if we're going to be here, you know, we're going to keep coming back. We're going to keep doing it. But we don't know now. We just were reminded that we don't know. And then he went on to say how, how appreciative he was that we were all there, but it was an interesting reminder. Like, Oh my God. Yeah. These, these, he's making money, but the guys in the band aren't. <laughs> no. And that's 99.9%. And so, you know, um, there's, I mean, uh, during COVID, like he's making money, he's, he's got, oh, oh, but the guys I, in the I, band, they're not playing. They're no, not making money. No, that's what I'm saying. And so if they had, collaborated with us, like many of those sidemen had, they, 
you know, they were getting checks, yeah, yeah. some big, some small, so powerful. It, it was meaningful. Right. It's and really so, meaningful. you know, you bring up a really good point. Um, there's uh, a, a charity that we really believe in that uh, Joe Bonamassa, who's, a, you know, we work with, uh, and his partner manager, Roy Weissman, who I think That's is, how I met you, by the way. That's how we came together. No, through Carol. Uh, Roy <laughs> right. Weissman is, right. is a disruptor. He has reinvented how to work with artists. The guy's brilliant. You should get him on this thing. Who, Roy? Yeah. He's just brilliant. And he's, he, won't, he won't do it. <laughs> you know, he should do it. I'll talk you should to Carol get us both on, and I'll get him. I'll talk for him and prompt him. But, you know, what he did is astounding. And Carol, I think Carol, who's his sister, is a very successful agency. You know, she she manages and makes that Keeping the Blues Alive charity yeah. work. Yeah. And their mission is so much aligned with ours, which mm -hmm. is why we're so honored to, to be participating sure. and partnering sure. with uh, Their mission is to bring education to kids that can't get it otherwise, and to support artists in their time of need, whether it's the pandemic, whether you're an emerging artist, you know, it's it's a tough business. That's a noble mission, and they're very successful at it. Um, that gets me excited. That's yeah, something yeah. really good, right? You go on that blues cruise? I did. You did. Did you go I on the last one? Been on it? No, I only met Carol like a year and a half ago, and that's just past one. It was just a few months ago. Uh, I couldn't make it, but I'm going to go on the one next year. Yeah, well, you know that um, one of my heroes and one of the people that I, I feel that I, I've learned from is Roy and Carol's father, who is Elliot Weiss, Elliot, yeah. who was Frank Sinatra's manager. Um, and, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time with him. Of course, I read the book, but the few times that I sat in his office and uh, in very subtle, killer ways, I learned a lot from that guy. <laughs> I learned a lot. And um, Carol is also very, very bright, um, very accomplished. And I love working with her too, you know? Um, that's what it's all about. Love what you do, love who you do it with, and boom. There's the brass ring. That's it. Oh, wow. You just, that, that's it. We got to stop right there. That's okay. so well said. Cool. There are a few ways to reach you. So for anybody out there that wants to find out more or work with Brad, you can reach him on Instagram. We're going to put all this information down below in the description, but there's Instagram, there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's LinkedIn, uh, there's a YouTube channel. And so we're going to put all of that down below for everybody. Is there anything besides that that you want to mention? Yeah, you know, what I would say is, you know, we're all, you know, we have all those social media things, but the website is truefire, T-R-U-E, fire, you know, um, one word, dot com. And if you go there, you know, there's a, you know, you'll get anything you want to know about what we do. It's there. But better than that, um, you know, you can join for free and we'll give you two weeks of all access to all 55,000 videos and, um, you know, amazing. check it out. 
right? amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. I mean, I'm amazed, right? I'm just amazed. <laughs> I want to um, I want to thank you so much Rick, for uh, for coming on. Did we, we we talked for about an hour and twenty minutes, and uh, it felt like it felt like five minutes, man. Listening to you tell these stories because I ramble on. I'm I'm you know I'm old. I'm senile. I'm, I'm oh, like the on. grandfather that tells the same jokes over <laughs> and over again. But everything's in it, right? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this real quick. I have I only know one joke. I, I I can't remember jokes. I'm not that guy. I I'm can't fun to be with, but the jokes that come in. My kids, there's one joke that I know, and it's from Eddie Murphy Delirious when it came out in like the 80s. Remember, yeah. he's wearing the, the, the red uh, leather suit. There's a yeah. bear and a rabbit in the woods. The bear turns to the rabbit and says to the rabbit, do you have a problem with shit sticking to your fur? The rabbit says no. So the bear wipes his ass with the rabbit. That's <laughs> the joke I know. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a really good one. And on that note... I, I, I need to do that. I've always, I've never been able to tell jokes. I love jokes. And I keep telling myself, Brad, just learn one joke that you can tell when people are telling jokes. But I usually wind up spoiling the, you know, that last line, you know, I just screw it up. But you know what, this has been a pleasure. Um, you know, I'm honored that you would even want to learn more about, you know, what we do, and you know, where where I come from. Um, and um, also the, you know, the connections and the, you know, the, the shared experiences yeah. made this really kind of special for me, you know? really. like very special for me. And I really think, you know, what you're doing, I think is really important. Um, and I mentioned this to you before coming up through business. I read a lot of Inc magazine and other magazines, and they seem to only celebrate widely successful companies that's what are you know and that's the wrong messaging maybe it's the right messaging to sell magazines right and to convince people that success is measured by how big how many employees you know all all that other stuff um but they don't celebrate the 99 percent scent of the entrepreneur you know that i've small Which is business. all of us this is the right. business where business is it's all that, small business that, that's right because that that and what you're doing i think inspires people to hey i can do this too maybe i'm not going to be you know get on the top of the inc 500 or whatever but i can do this too and i think there's never been a better time for people to just just start their own thing do something that they love and um, take control of their destiny. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Do not leave your destiny in the hands of corporate America. Hundred percent. Toxic. You know. That's it. That's why I do the show. It's it's to inspire. It's to motivate. And and you know if 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 this conversation helped somebody think about something differently or, or just even have a thought they didn't have, and that causes them to go onto a path where they now begin to go towards their potential, to reach their potential, you know, and that's, that's, that's right. why I do it. That's, that's, and, and that's doesn't I make you feel good. Isn't that a legacy you're proud of, right? Uh, you know, I'll tell you a secret when, when there's, there's, there is that part of it when I have thought about it and I have talked about it with people where these videos, as long as um, YouTube decides to leave them out there, my kids can always go, well, I have a four, girl who turned 14 two days ago and I have an 11 year old. These videos are going to be out there and they'll probably outlive me. And to the point of my father dying at 12, I have old movies of with no sound, mm -hmm. you know, from back in the day, the reel to reels. But, you know, my kids are going to have a library of content 
and they can hear me being me. And so there's that side of it too. That's right. And I'll bet you dollars to donuts that some of your viewers and listeners are going to shout out to you and say, Hey man, you sparked, uh, you know, a change in my perspective and in my life. And thank you for doing that. And so that we're both doing the same thing. Hundred percent. It happens occasionally, and uh, it feels good. I actually, uh, the first time ever. This is way off topic. Then this is my last. For the first time, and I don't do it for this reason, but it was bizarre. I had a call. A friend of mine set me up with another guy just to to network a little bit for business, and the guy's in Poland, and he speaks English. He's uh, he's from Belgium, and we're talking, and he's like. I know you from somewhere. I don't know. I don't know what it is. A couple hours later, he sends me an email because we're going to have a follow-up next week, talk more about business. He said, I know where I know you from. He goes, you were on a show. There's a guy whose show that I, I've been on. His name is Omar Elatar. Mm -hmm. And he's got a huge, huge show. He's, he's known all around the world. So I've been on his show a few times. And uh, the guy recognized me because in my office at home, I have a, a very abstract painting uh -huh. uh, by an artist actually from Miami. And so it's very memorable. It's got all these pop culture figures in it. It's one of those things. He's like, he emails me. He's like, I knew I knew you. He goes, you were on Omar's show. I watch, I'm, I subscribe to Omar's channel. I saw your interview. And I'm like, <laughs> I was awesome. recognized by a guy in Poland. Oh man, I, I, I love that. I'll tell you a little short story. Um, you cut it out, but um, I... The, the first glimpse I had at what we were doing was early on, we were doing some, you know, streaming, you know, guitar TV, bass TV, you know, keyboard TV. And we get an email. This is, you know, we're still in the red, seriously, you know, um, an email that to this day continues to inspire me. And it was from a young Chinese a guitar player who said, you know, kind of broken English in, in his writing, but basically said, you know, uh, dear uh, True Fire TV, something he says, thank you, uh, nearest uh, guitar teacher, so many kilometers away, you know, um, uh, and closed it out. I, I couldn't even find the village he was from. I found province on the map. I couldn't find the village that he was from. Um, he was out in the country or I, wherever he was, he had an internet connection and he closes it out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You make me rock. Okay. Oh. So, you know, today, most people would say, well, you know, yeah, of course. But back in the day, when you realize that you've reached somebody in some small village and help them learn how to play music, that that was big for me that was a big moment you know i mean that you know and we both know what music does for you as a kid for me music was an escape from the trauma and the difficulties i was going yeah. through which is why i got so into it and and people now that i know like i'll be in you can, a song can come on the radio with and i can hear one note and i almost can call the song in a, lo a lot of different genres yeah it's bizarre and I, I, it's like I spent my entire childhood listening to music over and over and over. It was an escape. It's a beautiful thing. And the thing. feeling that I got from that escape was very powerful. And it did a lot for me going through very difficult times. So then to learn to be able to play music and to create the sound that when, for myself creates a feeling. When I, when I pick up the guitar and play for myself, the few songs that I know, mm -hmm. 
I feel completely detached from anything that was going on. Sure. And uh, my mood is completely shifted in just in a matter of a minute or two. And then all of a sudden an hour goes by and, and uh, my wife said, where are you? I'm, I'm in my office with door shut with my mm-hmm. little guitar app with the floating up the screen playing like uh, hotel California for 20 times. Mm-hmm. And you disappear from reality. No, of, of you course, know? you know, and you know, I likewise counted on music to as a therapeutic, you yeah. know, thing. But you get lost in it. It makes you feel good. I mean, the Greeks had it right. You know, we've got it wrong here in this country. What's the first thing to go in public schools? Music, music, art. arts. Um, so, you know, you yeah. Do, you know, it's important. It's a lifeblood. It's, you know, hundred percent. The, uh, you're, you, you are now officially the first person I've ever had who's going to have a part one and a part two. <laughs> I was thinking about it a minute ago because I can't even cut any of this out. It's too good. <laughs> well, thank you, man. Thank you. And you have to do me a favor. So sure. Carol, you know, um, you know, really, uh, you know, I don't know what you really, but she said so many good things about you. And I really don't do many podcasts, to be honest with you. Um, but she asked me to do that. And I did it. I am really glad I did it. Thank and, you. Um, you know, she she knows, you know, like, she knows I can be forgetful. You know, she knows it's crazy here. You know, you know, I've got, you know, Carol, should I comb my hair? What should, you know, how should I tell me what to do? I was going to wear a hat for this one. (laughs) So please do me a favor and um, tell her that I was on time. My hair was combed and I was wearing an actual shirt. Okay. Um, I will. I think we're talking to her today, aren't we? Or tomorrow. Tomorrow. I think she's still in New York. I I will tell her. I, will okay, t- cool. I speak with her a lot. I mean, she and I became really close. We're doing a lot of different things together. She's, oh, she's uh, just awesome. I can't say yeah. enough things about her. That's for sure. Um, I want to, I, I want to thank you for doing this. I re- it's, uh, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. It's my pleasure. I mean, it really turned out to be my pleasure, you know, um, which I wasn't expecting it to be, but it totally was it's awesome. That's very, every cool. Level. very cool. Uh, so we mentioned about 10 minutes ago that we're going to put some information down below. So I am, when this gets, uh, edited and put out all your contact information is going to be down below, um, the website for sure. We're going to have a nice write up and anybody that sees this is going to have no problem reaching you. And, and I do, I encourage anybody that whether you watch this, this, uh, what are we in the middle of 2022 right now, whether it's now or it's next year or whenever you stumble on this video, you need to go check this out, truefire.com. Um, it's, it's what he's doing is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. That's it. Thank you, man. I really, I really love to get in with you. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. Listen, we will. Um, we are going to do two parts. I'm going to split this up, so you're going to get two yeah. two Tuesdays in a row. Okay. And, uh, Great. And this is going to be awesome. And, and uh, thanks again. Thanks again. Okay. Thank you so much. And thanks to Jamie behind the scenes. You know, the, the director and videographer and the angle, master of angles. You just said oh, you, were, you were her favorite interview at a 60, no, 65 we've done. Oh, God. She did. Yeah. She just said he's my favorite. You guys I, I don't just, think we're supposed to say that. It's like saying you have a favorite kid. 
<laughs> right. I know you, you better cut that out because you don't want to. Um, but uh, thank you, man. I it's really a pleasure having you, man. We'll talk again real soon. I look forward to it. Be good.